Hey, how you doing? My name is Nolan. I'm from Past Gas by Donut Media. We are the world's number one automotive podcast. That's right. We're a storytelling show. This week, it's part three of our history of Mazda. Last week, we talked about the rotary engine and how they started a little bit of racing. This week, they got a lot more serious with it. They needed to make a big splash in the world stage. They decided to go to Le Mans over there in France and prove that they could keep up with the Europeans and the Americans. They did have a hard time with it, though. It's very intriguing. The rotary engine we talked about last week had some challenges. This is for the real Mazda heads and anybody who's curious about automotive history in general. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Pass gas. I'll see you there. It's May 30th, 1961. Rufus Parnelli Jones kicked off his first Indy 500 weekend with an impressive fifth place during qualifying. But now it was time to race with the big boys. The rookie driver passed legends Roger Ward, Eddie Sachs, and Jim Rathman in the same lap to take the lead in the legendary race. To make those kinds of moves in your first Indy, that's the stuff of legends. But that chance at first place was interrupted by a small piece of metal. After leading an impressive 27 laps, a metal scrap struck Parnelli just above his eye. The driver had no choice but to slow down as his goggles filled up with blood, blocking his view of the track. And just when matters couldn't seem to get any worse, his car lost a cylinder. Despite the strong start, by the end of the race, Parnelli Jones finished his first Indy 500 in a disappointing 12th. Another newcomer might have been disheartened by his highs turning so quickly into lows. But Parnelli Jones? Not so much. He would return to Indy the following year, and the year after that, and the year after that. How did Parnelli achieve his status as an Indy legend? What kind of impact did he have on the world of racing, including the cars themselves? And what kind of legacy does the Parnelli Jones name carry on and off the track? We'll find out on today's episode of Pass Gas. It's Parnelli Jones. Past Gas Podcast. It's about cars. It's not about ports. Are you guys excited about that new album, uh, Little Piece of Metal by Goggles of Blood? <laughs> <laughs> Sound, yeah. Everyone pretends like they hate Goggles of Blood, but like Goggles of Blood is pretty good. Yeah. I think it's the name. It's like you don't want to like say that. Like you're not going to wear a Goggles of Blood t-shirt to work. No, definitely not. Uh, it's kind of like Slipknot, you know? Like, yeah. maybe in, like, 10 years it'll be like, oh, dude, that's sick, a Goggles of Blood yeah. shirt. Yeah. I remember liking them a lot in high school. Yeah, with that one song, when, when it kicks in and they go, do, 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 do. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Past Gas. Unfortunately, this is not a metal show. Be- Unfortunately, <laughs> we keep But trying. let us know if you want us to do a metal <laughs> podcast. Um. My name is Nolan Sykes, here to introduce my co-hosts, which I forget to do on a semi-weekly basis. We've got James Pumphrey across Name from me. three little piece of metal songs. <laughs> uh, let's see. I mean, there's, well, there's Narrows, which yeah. I think is like a pretty pretty good opening track, kind of sets the, sets the tone for the album. What's that fourth track called? Seven Sweet Sevens. Seven Sweet Sevens. Yeah. Kind of a weird title for them. And then in parentheses, 49. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then the the closing track, why is algebra so hard? Yeah. <laughs> That's a Jimmy Buffett cover. <laughs> and uh, Joe Weber, what's up? What up, Wing Wing Nation? How we doing, guys? 
I'm great, yeah. honestly. I feel pretty good. I have allergy headache right now. Really? Yeah. Fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, mixed in with everything else uh, <laughs> this week. That's that's awesome. Super fun, Joe. Thanks for bringing it up. It's really centralized. <laughs> Way to play through the pain, man. <laughs> and yeah, we're going to talk about Parnelli Jones, uh, a, a, a figure that seems to show up every now and then in our other stories. So I'm glad that we're going to focus on him and get to know him. Two last names. Yeah, it's rare. Yeah, a lot of people have two first names. Yeah, yeah. Mike Jeff. Yeah, like Mike <laughs> Jeff, like famous <laughs> linebacker Mike Jeff. Yeah, <laughs> Dave Thomas, founder of Wendy's. Dave yeah. Thomas, Dave Matthew, Dave Matthews. Follow the money. Yeah, that's a little. That's <laughs> Follow a stretch. the money. <laughs> Blackwater man. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's what he shot out of his van over the people <laughs> in Chicago. <laughs> Yeah, the biggest thing we've learned on this podcast is don't empty your RV's latrine over the Chicago River. Just yeah. don't dump poop on people ever. Did it hit people? Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh. It doused, it doused oh my tour God, boat. no. I thought it was just like into the river and it's like a point of pride, but no, like literally. Too. That's yeah. another great little piece of metal song. Yeah. Into the river. Yeah. It was something like a thousand gallons or something. Like they hadn't emptied it the whole tour. Oh, <laughs> yeah. God. It was on like a tour. And that's a tour bus. Yeah. Yeah, oh, but it's on, yeah, and it was also on like a tourist boat. <laughs> so like you're like, oh, Chicago. We'll, <laughs> we'll spend half of our day uh, on this boat looking at. <laughs> River stuff. Yeah. Oh, the river's green. <laughs> oh my god, I'm covered in shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, thank you. Rufus Parnell Jones was born on August 12th, 1933, in Texarkana, Arkansas. Damn it. That's our first mention of Texarkana, I think, on this entire show. Shouts. Shout out. Great REM song. They're <laughs> from Savannah, Georgia. They are. <laughs> <laughs> In regards to his namesake, Parnellia said, quote, My mother named me after a judge, the most successful person she knew. Due to the crushing effects of the Great Depression and a damaging drought, Parnelli's family was forced to leave behind their 52-acre farmland and move out west to California when he was only two years old. Parnelli's father spent some time working on farms north of San Diego to support his family. Five years later, they moved to Torrance, California, to be closer to family during the height of World War II. His father traded farming for the sea when he began working in nearby shipyards that helped support the war effort. Uh, speaking of naming your kid after successful people, I was named after two of my dad's bosses. Oh, wow. Yeah, James Dugan and Edward Deegan. My name's James Edward Pumphrey, and my dad was like 26 when I was born, uh. and he named me after two of his bosses uh, <laughs> as like a bet to get a race. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's, like, <laughs> yeah, that's a nice piece of trivia. <laughs> <laughs> that's Dave Pumphrey. Man, your life would have been so much different if you went by your middle name, Edward. Ed Pumphrey. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> that guy sucks. Ed Pumphrey. Ed Pump. Ed Pumphrey. Nice to meet you. <laughs> Big Ed Pumphrey. Big Ed Pumphrey. <laughs> uh, when he was 15, Parnelli's parents divorced. As the oldest of three children, Parnelli had to enter the workplace to support his splintered family. Parnelli found a job at a nearby stable, which is what spawned his interest in his first love, horses. Why are you looking at I me? don't know. <laughs> you like horses know. too. Huh? You like horses. I like horses, ironically. <laughs> I don't like them. 
I, no. I'm really scared of them. And I think it's weird how people talk about them. You're like, that dog is cute. Mm-hmm. That cat is cute. Yeah. That raccoon is cute. People are like, that horse is beautiful. I know. Yeah. <laughs> that horse is majestic. It's like, all right, weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't, my sister is like super into horses mm. and now she works with them. And uh, <laughs> I imagine it's like at a law firm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Bill, you got those uh, <laughs> memos? That, that's how that's how ignorant I am of office. Like, you got uh, those uh, oh, crap. What's the thing offices have? Memos. Yeah. What yeah. memos? Yeah. Any memos, Bill? <laughs> <laughs> Bill the horse. Uh, yeah, but anyway, like I, uh, this, her whole life she's been so into them, and it's just like I've never really understood the the horse. Do you have enough horses. land in Atascadero to? Have that was the thing. Is like my she always wanted a horse, and yeah. it's like we don't. We have like half. It's like a quarter acre or backyard or something. It's tiny. It's like a quarter cannot, acre sounds huge to me. I don't know for a horse. Not, no, you gotta have a lot of land for. It's not big for even a human. Really? Yeah. Oh, I want to know how big my apartment is in acres now. Did you ever go to my uh, house in? Palos Verdes? Yeah. That was an acre. Oh, well, yeah. That'd be about... That was about, an acre? Uh-huh. Okay. That's about a good size for a horse. Nah. The backyard? No, that's little. But a lot of people had have horses in that neighborhood. They had horses in that house in the 50s. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I saw people riding them around when I went yeah, out. Yeah, they just rode them around. Yeah. It's the, it's the whitest place on earth. <laughs> anyway, uh, Parnelli eventually bought his own horse and spent much of his time riding around the Palos Verdes Peninsula. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Okay, sick. Wow. Okay, but huh, I'm excited now. Uh, <laughs> you have context. Yes. <laughs> I knew where that is. Um, by the time he was 16, Parnelli had grown too tall to be a jockey, unfortunately. Uh, so he did what any hot-blooded American boy would and started driving hot rods. Well, we can't drive real horses. So. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think that a car is a fake horse. <laughs> in fact, Parnelli sold his horse for $200, about 2500 bucks in today's money, in order to buy his first car. A hot rod Ford he described as a 23 T-bucket with a Model A engine, two carburetors on it, and a little box on the back. Yeah, I guess that kind of describes... That's an, that's I, a hot I rod. know exactly what that looks yeah. like. It wasn't difficult for Parnelli to get his bearings racing. Quote, There was a dirt field that had a quarter-mile dirt circle track and was used for horses. He said... And I had fun hot my car around the track. <laughs> <laughs> That's a short track, quarter mile. Um, around the same time, Parnelli made the decision to drop out of school altogether. When he wasn't working in the stable, he was working on his own cars as his collection of hot rods grew. Parnelli put his amateur mechanic skills to the test when he started working in a garage in the South Bay. And his interest in racing grew when his cousin brought in a 1930 Ford hot rod. Parnelli said, He used to let me warm the car up. That sort of started the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> His time working at the garage not only introduced Parnelli to his love of racing, but to his nickname as well. I think he's got to have a SoCal accent now because he's been here for a little bit. I'm just picturing him as uh, Ricky Bobby's dad. (laughs) (laughs) Parnelli's longtime friend and former classmate, Billy Calder, was a co-worker in that South Bay garage. As Calder put it, now this guy is Southern California. There was a little freckle-faced redhead girl with pigtails named Nellie. 
who was always bothering Parnelli because she had like <laughs> a thing for him <laughs> and would like follow him all around school. So I put the names Nelly and Parnell together <laughs> and would like kid him in school singing Nelly loves Parnelli and <laughs> <laughs> <In> school. <laughs> Even after Parnelli left school, the nickname had stuck. Like a benefer of sorts. Mm. Parnelli started going to the racetrack much more <laughs> frequently. <laughs> Sorry, guys. We're on one today. I don't yeah, know what's, are. what's gotten into us. It's good. It's good energy. We're giggly. Yeah. Parnelli would hop the fence at Carroll Speedway to watch heroes like Troy Rutman win races. Inspired, Parnelli decided to get on the raceways himself. Like many young drivers, Parnelli started with street racing, which eventually led to vying for spots on dirt tracks. But that's where Parnelli ran into a metaphorical roadblock. At 17, he was still too young to legally race in California, where the minimum age for a racer was 21. When, so, how do kids race then? Yeah, how do the kids race? On horses? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> On you real? gotta gra graduate to the fake horses. <laughs> uh, luckily, yeah, that's not the case anymore. That's weird that they had it. Eh, I don't know. Weird. Luckily, his old buddy Calder was also handy at making fake IDs. Nice. As a result, Parnelli used the name parnelli to sign up for races while still underage which also kept his racing exploits from his parents <laughs> when he painted the side of his first race car a 1935 ford sedan parnelli dropped the e at the end of his moniker to make it look and sound more italian oh that's so funny no one else in the city is named parnelli <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, i was like where did this name come from and it turns out a guy made it up. <laughs> <laughs> Parnelli moved on from garage work to construction as a cement mixer and concrete finisher. He spent his free time working on his cars and eventually was able to get a spot in a jalopy race. For those unfamiliar with the term, jalopies are cheaply made refurbished vehicles that were easily accessible for people who were financially burdened during the Great Depression. They became popular in hot rod culture and because they were so accessible and cheap to make, they became more popular to race on dirt tracks. Parnelli's first jalopy race was in 1952 at the half-mile Carroll Speedway in Gardena when he was just 19 years old. While he didn't win that race, he wanted to keep trying. Parnelli once said, I'd run three races a week in jalopies. <laughs> <laughs> From then on, Parnelli shifted his focus to racing full-time and performed exceptionally well in stock and sprint car racing. The hyper-competitive Parnelli was even referred to in the local papers as the Torrance Terror. Oh, yes. That's sick. Now the real Torrance Terror is the weather. It's hot. What, uh, wow. Goggles of blood is touring <laughs> with Torrance of Terror. <laughs> when asked about his variety of driving experience, Parnelli once said, quote, I'm the kind of guy who likes to see what's on the other side of the hill. So let's just say I've enjoyed them all. <laughs> <laughs> Never heard that. That's a w interesting turn of phrase. Well, it's I guess. been fun hanging out. <sighs> Better get going. Can you tell us what you meant by that? Your mama's new boyfriend. He sleep over a lot. <laughs> <laughs> a doctor. <laughs> I'd ask you what good a doctor has done to anybody. 
He's like 15. <laughs> Farnelli eventually racked up 15 stock car racing wins in the NASCAR Pacific Coast Late Model Series. Then in 1958, 25-year-old Parnelli Jones joined the California Racing Association, or CRA, series. And by 1959, he was becoming a pretty successful sprint car racer and splitting his time between CRA and the West Coast and the International Motor Contest Association, IMCA Sprinters in the Midwest, and the United States Auto Club events over on the East Coast, uh, USAC, which we talked about a few weeks ago in our IndyCar episode. Did IMCA become IMSA at some point, or is that... Maybe. Just a coincidence. That might be a coincidence, but it might also be true. I don't know, Joe. 1960 turned out to be a big year for Parnelli Jones. The then 27-year-old Parnelli won his first championship race when he took the USAC's Midwest Sprint Car crown. That win caught the attention of famed sprint car promoter J.C. Agajanian. Oh, nice pronunciation. Who would later sponsor Parnelli at Indy. Well, That's I, our friend's grandpa. Yeah, it is, yeah. <laughs> That's our friend Jacob's grandpa. Shouts to Jacob Agajanian. He used to be uh, the head of our business development. Mm -hmm. He's oh. one of the first. He's like the third employee at Donut. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. His uh, grandpa's race cars were like chilling in our lobby. Chilling in our lobby. Yeah. J.C. Agajanian? Yeah. yeah. He was wow. also uh, Evil Knievel's manager. No way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Big-time race promoter. Big-time race promoter. Although he was becoming more and more successful, Parnelli wasn't getting too fancy just yet. He spent the majority of the time traveling the IMCA circuit side-by-side -side with fellow racing newcomer Jim Hurtubis. The two drivers became close friends. I'm probably totally butchered that last name. Just call him Big Hurt. Big Hurt converted his old station wagon to double as a sleep space by adding a bed in the back. They hit the road, traveling from circuit to circuit, sleeping side by side in their make makeshift camper. Instagramming the whole thing. <laughs> circuit to circuit sounds like a Fitment Industries show. <laughs> or an old G4 Tech TV mm -hmm. hotline. Hey, man, I'm having an issue with MS-DOS here. I can't get my LAN party up and running. <laughs> Jimmy H. made his own Indy 500 debut in the 1960 running. After an impressive first run, the driver was asked to comment and simply explained, Wait till next year when my friend Parnelli Jones gets here. <laughs> and that's great. What? <laughs> <laughs> what, dude? <laughs> uh, okay. We're gonna go to dinner. <laughs> no, wait for my friend. <laughs> He's always about 45 minutes late. We'll be right back with more of this story, but first, a word from our sponsors. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. By the time 1961 came around, 28-year-old Parnelli was ready to make his Indy 500 debut. Sponsor J.C. Agajanian supplied Parnelli with the highest quality of equipment, including a front-engine roadster built by famed mechanic A.J. Watson. A.J. Watson? Powered by a purebred Offenhauser racing Ooh. engine, Jones gave the Watson Offie Roadster the nickname 
Old Calhoun. <laughs> Apparently, Old Calhoun was named after an old football joke with the tagline, give the ball to Calhoun. Oh, that's a great joke. That's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny. You had to be there. You had to be there. <laughs> As we mentioned in the opening, Parnelli qualified for an impressive fifth place in 1961 in his Indianapolis 500 debut. During the race, Parnelli ran in the fourth spot right past the 100-mile mark before he passed both Saxon Ward in one move on the back stretch. When he was on the fourth turn of the same lap, Parnelli made another shocking move when he passed Ratham and gained the lead. A rookie driver taking the lead was a rare achievement at a big-name race like the Indy 500. Now, unfortunately for Parnelli, that taste of victory was short-lived, thanks to the aforementioned piece of metal to the face. Profuse bleeding followed by a lost cylinder landed Parnelli in 12th overall. Despite difficulties, Parnelli's impressive first run earned him the coveted Rookie of the Year honors in the race that year. And big old Jim BC is like, see? See? Worth the wait, right? <laughs> what did I tell you? <laughs> Have you left since last year? <laughs> no, I've been <laughs> sleeping in my car. <laughs> in 1962, Parnelli returned to the Indy 500 track in a big record-breaking way. The then 29-year-old got pole position and set a new qualifying record of 150.37 miles per hour and became the first man to break the 150 mile per hour barrier at the Indianapolis That's 500. So wow. However, after dominating the first 300 miles of the race, leading 120 laps of 200, the exhaust pipe of Parnelli's car burned through one of his Watson Roadster brake lines. Mm. Jones had no choice but to slow down and finish in seventh place. Here's the thing. This guy has, like, catastrophic failures to his, like, cars. And, like, seventh ain't bad mm -hmm. yeah. in, like, a race. Yeah. Twelfth yeah. with a goggle full of blood. Yeah. It's pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. Pretty sick. Yeah. Parnelli full of blood. <laughs> Parnelli reflected on that 1962 race in his biography saying, I'd be screaming into a corner and I'd be telling myself, you can do it. <laughs> You have more guts than anyone. <laughs> you don't have to hit the brakes. <laughs> but even after another frustrating loss, Parnelli shook it up. During the 1963 Indy 500, 30-year-old Parnelli earned his second consecutive pole position with a track record run that was over 151 miles per hour. Parnelli's competitive persistence was finally starting to pay off on the Indy racetrack. And after two years of promising starts with disappointing finishes, Parnelli was finally getting closer to the Indy 500 glory that he and many others sought after year after year. Aside from Parnelli's determination to win, old Calhoun had been improved upon. For the 1963 season, the car was given a handful of subtle improvements, like a longer exhaust collector, a pair of smooth aerodynamic fairings on the nose, Oh and a longer, lower outboard oil tank mounted behind the left front wheel. Dry sun. Sick. Cool. That's some real race car shit. Yeah, dude. Uh, real mechanic stuff hats available at donutmedia.com. Hand sewn here in Los Angeles. Hand sewn here in Los Angeles. The prototype is somewhere on the side of the 101 freeway. <laughs> Why happened? is that, James? Because I was wearing it on the way back from the market event oh. and in Andy's car. Oh. <laughs> and it's a convertible, and it yeah. blew off. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. 
So go look for that if you find it. Tagging <laughs> us at Donami. <laughs> Parnelli absolutely dominated the race. He led 167 laps, including the final 105. Those final laps were where he pushed his hardest. His hard work paid off. Parnelli Jones won the 1963 Indianapolis 500 and left second-place finisher Jim Clark in the dust by a whopping 33 seconds. Is That that seems kind of close for 500 miles. 33 right? seconds no, is a lot. Yeah. Okay. Like, imagine one, two, three. So, yeah. boom, finished. I'm trying one, to imagine. Two, three, yeah. four, five, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine ten, eleven, twelve, And these are short seconds. Yeah. 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, point eight. Wow. Boom. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that is a lot. That's a long That's time. I mean, uh, I think last year's. Indy 500 was, you know, battle at the last lap. A lot of them are like, mm -hmm. it's amazing how close they still are after so, like you said, after such a long distance. Yeah, yeah, that was a good point. I agree. <laughs> However, Parnelli's <laughs> first Indy 500 win was not without a bit of controversy. Controversy. Old controversy. oil tank became famous after streaks of oil could be seen on the tail of the car, which caused quite a bit of smoke. And according to onlookers, the oil tank seemed to be cracked at its mounting lug and leaked oil onto the track. Somehow, the officials didn't seem to consider this as a serious matter, and no black flag was drawn. Black flag, touring with goggles full of blood. <laughs> and tor Torrance terror. Torrance of terror. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Parnelli's first victory didn't sit well with some of the other drivers. In fact, things got a little heated. And by heated, we mean physical. Mm. And not... In the sexy way. <laughs> After the 500's post-race driver luncheon. <laughs> that sounds fun. Mm -hmm. I love a luncheon. Just a nice sandwich. What do you think they ate? This is, uh, a, what, 60s? Yeah, definitely some sort of jello. Yeah, jello with <laughs> ham and eggs in it. <laughs> yeah, some sort of crab salad. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Eddie confronted Parnelli at a nearby Holiday Inn. Uh, Sachs was up in arms over the fact that Parnelli's oily caused the driver's car to spin out. Parnelli got defensive and, according to a report, exclaimed, You call me a liar again, and I'll bust you right in the mouth. <laughs> so when Sachs replied, You're a liar, Parnelli punched Sachs right in the mouth. <laughs> Nothing like sealing a victory with a good old fist fight. I'll bust right, <laughs> I'll bust right in your mouth. <laughs> in 1960, I, I avoided that. Yeah. For as long as I could, but I had to it's acknowledge. Funny. I had to acknowledge. It's it. funny. <laughs> I had to it's say. It's funny it. how words change meaning. Right over time. In 1964, the fourth year in a row, Parnelli took Old Calhoun for its final spin around the Indy 500 track. A few more improvements were made for the car's final Indy, including another revised exhaust pipe, a giant air intake to feed the offy. and for qualifying, a set of sleek Bonneville-style wheel covers. Oh, like Moonies. Moonies. The car also got a new livery thanks to the chief sponsorship of Bowles Sealfast. But these so-called improvements didn't help Parnelli. In a fairly lackluster run after such a satisfying victory, the 31-year-old Parnelli qualified fifth and finished the race in 23rd place after the car's fuel tank caught fire. Parnelli was burnt, both literally and figuratively. 
uh, by an oil leak once again and had to bail out of his car on the pit road on lap 55. Mm. Apparently suffered from burns on his legs and left arm. Do you remember that Simpsons where Homer tries to drive his car off the cliff and he rolls out of his car and then rolls right back into his car? <laughs> 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 the next few years of Martinelli's indie career weren't quite as remarkable as his first few, but they were still very, very good. In 1965, Parnelli drove a Lotus rear engine car and finished in second place. In 1966, a late-in-the-game wheel-bearing failure landed him in 14th place. I would be so pissed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If, like, a wheel-bearing. Mm-hmm. Imagine if, like, Max Verstappen. Yeah, was, like, yeah. It was, like... Sorry, man. We should have replaced that, huh? Like tie rod bushing. <laughs> yeah. In 1967, Parnelli teamed up with Andy Granatelli and his famed STP turbine car, which was at the time one of the most revolutionary cars ever to run in the Indy 500. Parnelli qualified sixth, his worst starting spot of his Indy 500 career. Unfazed, Parnelli set the four-wheel drive STP turbine up high and swept Dan Gurney. Ever heard of him? Gordon Johncock. <laughs> and, and Mario Andretti, who I've seen in his underpants in the second turn. According to legend, Andretti flipped the bird at Parnelli as he drove past. When asked to comment on the hand gesture, Andretti said, I may have done that. <laughs> Parnelli in his turbine car led 171 laps, but with less than four laps and eight miles to go, a $6 ball bearing failed, and Parnelli lost control of the car. This race was Parnelli Jones's final appearance at the Indianapolis 500. By 34, Parnelli Jones had competed in eight Indy 500 races. That's cool. Good old Gordy Johncock. <laughs> Gordon Johncock. Nice you can to call you. me G. <laughs> Mr. Johncock's my father. Please call me Gordy Johncock. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Although his time at Indy was over, Parnelli's racing days were far from finished. During his time at the Indy circuit, Parnelli also drove for truck builder Bill Strop and won the 1964 USAC stock car title and the 1963 and 1964 Pikes Peak Hill Climb stock car class. And Parnelli's working relationship with Strop became stronger after he was done with the Indy circuit. In 1969, Parnelli explored the world of off-road racing after Strop egged him on. Parnelli recalled Strop talking him into the race, saying, quote, No, that ain't my bag. I don't think I want to do that. But he knew how to get me because I had won the USAC Stock Car Championship for him in 64. So Strop said, Well, you're probably not man enough to do it. <laughs> and that was like throwing a red flag at me. Honestly, you call me a wimp, I'll do fucking anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do gross. <laughs> <laughs> Even though the dirt tracks were how he got to start racing as a teenager, it still took Parnelli some time to readjust to driving outside of the track. Strop built a Bronco for him with I-beam front suspension and double shocks. Parnelli drove this Bronco in the 1970 Baja 500 without even giving the car a test run, putting all his faith in a Strop and his knowledge of off-road racing. Strop knew the driver's go-hard attitude wouldn't be the safest approach, which even Parnelli himself agreed with. Parnelli told Motorsport Magazine that, quote, It also might have helped me not knowing the road, because if you know the road, you drive a little harder. (laughs) 
I about slipped her off the road once, but that was all. This careful approach helped Parnelli win the 1970 Baja 500. Whoa, first time out? That's impressive. Never having driven the car before. I know, never <laughs> doing off-road racing. Wild. That same year, 1970, Parnelli won the SCCA Trans Am Championship thanks to the Boss 302 Mustang that he oh, piloted. Nice. That's cool. He took the Kent pole twice. In the Kent 200 race, Parnelli led nearly all 90 laps and won by 19.6 seconds. He later won at Riverside, rest in peace, and Parnelli helped clinch the manufacturer's title for Ford that year. That's badass. Dude, this guy just speaks to the talent of this guy. Can go off-road, can win on-road, ovals, road racing, doesn't matter. That's crazy, man. Not a lot of guys like that, right? Not a lot of guys like that around these days. Yeah, not around. It's a yeah, yeah. different breed. Really. <laughs> they don't make them like they used to. What's happening to masculinity nowadays? <laughs> uh, but Parnelli wanted to branch out even more. Stromp and Parnelli built their next truck together and lovingly called it Big Ollie. Big Ollie was lightweight and tube-framed, backed by a Ford V8. With Big Ollie, the two set their sights on the 1971 Baja 1000. Not only did they score yet another off-road win, but Parnelli broke the Baja 1000 record by completing the race in 14 hours and 59 minutes. This was less than half the time what? the average driver took to finish the 1,000-mile oh race. God. Average driver. Yeah. Parnelli's no average driver. No, but I'm saying it's like it's <laughs> like a stat that's like sounds impressive, but is still impressive, but like the average driver, like that's including you. Yeah. But imagine trying like being a semi-pro racer trying your hardest and then having this guy beat you by more than double i assume that would happen if i ever ran. <laughs> <laughs> funnily enough the determined parnelli jones treated the win in a fairly casual manner stating quote i had a lot of fun doing that it was enjoyable i didn't make any money but it was enjoyable <laughs> so our crew chief for bonneville and and the funny car that i used to crew on uh smoky Smokey Allerman actually built the back half of this Bronco. Whoa. Oh, yeah? Yeah. That's a claim to fame. And uh, he's got a lot. He, I mean, he uh, went to Indy with Parnelli as well. Whoa. I'm not sure which event. I'll have to ask him. Um, it's so cool that you're one degree away from that's crazy. all that's this cool. history. Um, yeah, Smokey did so much stuff, dude. Uh, but anyway, I asked him one time, like, what the most scared he's been, uh, like, in a car before. Because, you know. And he said... When they were doing, when they were test driving the Bronco out in Baja, Parnelli, they found a dirt road on the side of a cliff, and they were going like a hundred miles an hour, oh and Parnelli was not hitting the brakes at all, just like oh, that's flinging scary. that thing around turns. And hundred miles an hour back then is like a million miles. miles. Yeah, yeah, it's insane. That's like driving to work with Kanan. <laughs> does he drive gnarly? Oh man, yeah. I have never seen him use a turn signal. <laughs> he does. This move we call the Miami lane change, mm -hmm. which is four lanes, no blinker, all in one thing. Oh, yeah. That's a big, that's a LA move for sure. No, uh, it's a Miami move. My, a lot of people from Miami, I guess, in LA. <laughs> uh, yeah. And that, that set, that, that Bronco, I believe that's, uh, that's the one of the Peterson, the one with the wing on top. Yeah. The like beer one. Yeah. Olympia beer. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. One of the few ventures Parnelli never attempted, however, was Formula One racing. Colin Chapman offered Parnelli the factory Formula One ride alongside two-time world champion uh, Jim Clark for Team Lotus, but Parnelli didn't bite. He was later quoted saying, 
I would have liked to run Formula One under the right circumstances, but I felt I was going to be second to Jimmy Clark. And I didn't think I was number two to anyone. Because number two is poop. (laughs) (laughs) You ever heard of Dave Matthews? (laughs) At this point in his career, 35-year-old Parnelli was ready to get into some more off-road adventures and launch several business endeavors with longtime friend and businessman Vel Militic. They started Vell's Parnelli Jones Ford, a Firestone tire distributorship that opened stores in 14 different states. Parnelli also co-founded American Racing Wheels with friend Art Hale Sr. The company, now known as U.S. Mags Custom Wheels, is one of the longest-ranked producers of custom race car wheels for both vintage and modern cars in the United States. Owned by Wheel Pros. Oh. They own Hoonigan now, right? They own Hoonigan. They own Rotiform. They own Method Wheels. Oh, interesting. The biggest endeavor that Jones and Militich started together was Vell's Parnelli Jones Racing. Founded in 1969, nice. The team was financially backed by Firestone, like Nolan just said. The team was considered to be a three-car super team consisting of Al Unser, senior, Joe Leonard, and Mario Andretti, who I have seen in his (laughs) underpants. Similar to Parnelli's own racing journey, the victories came quickly. Alan Sir won two consecutive Indianapolis 500s for the team in 70 and 71, driving two Johnny Lightning PJ Colt slash Ford racers to victory. Unzer also walked away with the 1970 USAC Championship. Joe Leonard followed suit by winning the USAC Championship in both 1971 and 72. The team would race and dominate many different racing series, including NHRA drag racing, USAC championship dirt cars, and off-road racing. VPJ Racing also did something that Parnelli Jones himself never attempted. They dominated the world of F1. In 1974, the team ambitiously built three bespoke Formula One cars. One of those cars was the VPJ-4 chassis 4-002, and was driven by Mario Andretti, who I've seen in his underpants. <laughs> the team recruited the talent of Formula One designer Maurice Philippe and engineer John Baldwin to assist in the initial mock-up of the car. The finished car impressed the racing world, including Lotus founder Colin Chapman, who called it the car he wished he could have built. Man, Colin is just jocking this dude. <laughs> That's the tallest airbox I think I've ever seen on a Formula One car. Like, this is something that Richard Scarry would drive from one of his children's books. <laughs> what the hell is that? That's what I'm saying, dude. It's like a periscope. <laughs> In 1975, Mario Andretti and the VPJ-4 did well in several races, including fourth place at the Andersterp Scandinavia Raceway in the Swedish Grand Prix and fifth at the Circuit Paul Ricard in the French Grand Prix. Andretti also led 10 laps at the Spanish Grand Prix before ultimately placing beyond the podium in fourth. Throughout the 1970s, Vell's Parnelli Jones racing teams would also have an impact at Indy and made a strong run in the Formula 5000 Road Racing Series, USAC Championship Dirt Racing, and NHRA Funny Car and Top Fuel Drag Racing. The name could use a little bit of work. It doesn't really roll off your tongue. What? Vels Parnelli Jones Racing. I don't know. Seems kind of like a Ruth's Chris situation. <laughs> yeah, is it Ruth or does Chris belong to Ruth? It's Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. 
Because it's everyone's got a different steakhouse. The Chris Steakhouse. <laughs> Is Chris a style of steak? Chris Ste- Steakhouse was the original one, and it burnt down. Oh. And then the wife started Ruth. Oh. Chris Steakhouse. I kind of I like that. It's confusing, but it's endearing. We'll get back to more past guests, but right now, a word from our sponsors. Parnelli Jones has received numerous honors for his fantastic run as a race car driver and is a member of more than 20 racing halls of fame. I thought there was like three of them. These honors include the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Hall of Fame, the International Motorsports Hall of Fame, the Motorsports Hall of Fame of America, (laughs) the National Midget Auto Racing Hall of Fame, the National Sprint Car Hall of Fame, the West Coast Stock Car Hall of Fame, and the Off-Road Motorsports (laughs) Hall of Fame. That's a lot of halls. Yeah. (laughs) Even after he retired, Parnelli never steered too far from the track. In 1993, at 60 years old, Parnelli found himself behind the wheel once again when he participated in a televised racing event called Fast Masters. (laughs) Fast Masters. Starring Jeremy Clarkson. (laughs) (laughs) The ESPN series featured 50 retired drivers competing in races over the course of six weeks. Alongside Parnelli were a number of NASCAR legends, including Bobby and Donnie Allison, Buddy Baker, Harry Gant, Benny Parsons, David Pearson, who we need to talk about, uh, and Dick Trickle. Parnelli did well in the three races he took part in and walked away with one first place win. Despite the occasional clashing of person- Dick Trickle was like aware. Yeah. Like he was like, yeah, that's my that's my name. Do you think Dick Trickle drives an STI? <laughs> 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 nice. Uh, that's a good. That's a good joke. Uh, despite the occasional clashing of personalities with fellow drivers, Parnelli is one of the most respected figures in the racing world, and there are tons of quotes to prove it. Rival turned VPJ team member Mario Andretti once said, "As far as I'm concerned, the Parnelli Jones was the greatest driver of his era. <laughs> <laughs> he had aggressiveness." And also a finesse that no one else possessed. <laughs> and he won with everything he put his hands on, including off-road. Robbie Unser agreed. In my history of what I've seen in race car drivers, it's only a few who were natural. When they were born, God gave them a bunch of talent to drive race cars. Parnelli was one of those. <laughs> Anything he drove... Didn't make any difference. I don't I don't even care what it was. He could win at it. It was scary. Yeah. Your Mario Andretti turned into a Wario Andretti. <laughs> uh, IndyCar Series champion Dario Franchitti was quoted as saying that Parnelli was, quote, <laughs> Dario, come on. These are made up. <laughs> Or possibly one of the toughest guys I've ever seen in racing, huh? It looks like he's made out of granite. Uh, I'm glad I didn't have to race against him because he looks like he completely he could completely kick the ass of anyone I've ever met. I know he would have definitely kicked my ass. <laughs> Farnelli also left a different kind of legacy in racing. Both of his sons, PJ and Paige, those are kind of the same name, (laughs) (laughs) got into racing and share their father's competitive nature. 
quote. I tried to keep my kids from racing. Said Parnelli. It all started when they wanted me to take them with me to the Caesars Palace Grand Prix. Paige was about, I don't know, seven, and was a pool hustler. He said to me, if I put all three balls in, will you take us to Las Vegas? <laughs> I had to work and didn't want to worry about them in Vegas, so I said, I'll buy you guys go-karts instead. <laughs> Sick. At 17 years old, PJ was named Rookie of the Year in go-karting by the United States Auto Club in 1986. Just like his dad, he explored many different facets of motorsport, including sports cars, trucks, and off-road vehicles. He would go on to win more titles, but his biggest accomplishment was his win at the 1993 24 Hours of Daytona Endurance Race. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. Wow. He was in a go-kart. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Paige, the younger of the two brothers, was winning big in midget car racing and sprint car racing as a teen in the late 80s. Sadly, a near-death experience ended his career in 1994 when an on-track accident caused severe brain damage. Today, Paige advocates long-term rehabilitation for others with brain injuries. The racing gene is also alive and well in Parnelli's grandson, Jagger Jones. Nice. That's pretty tight. I just Peepo GJ. <laughs> just versions of his name. <laughs> At just 19 years old, PJ's son, Jagger, is already making his mark in NASCAR. In 2019, Jagger won the NASCAR Rising Star of the Year Award and finished second place in the NASCAR K&N Pro Series West Championship. Wow. So we'll see. We'll see. Keep an eye on you, Jagger. Yeah, Jagger Jones. Hit us up. Jagger Jones. Probably named after Mick Jagger. Yeah. Or from the Rolling Stones. I've heard of them. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> They're like the Beatles, but not shitty. They have that song, you got the moves like Jagger. It's very self-indulgent. <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> I love that, that Rolling Stones song. <laughs> when it comes to wins and achievements, Parnelli's list is nothing short of impressive. And it's also not short at all. Throughout his career, he would go on to score 25 USAC Sprint Car feature wins. Parnelli's skill made him one of NASCAR's top-class drivers. Within 34 starts, Parnelli won four NASCAR Cup races and scored 11 top-10 finishes. He's a three-time Sprint Car Series champion, has seven Trans Am wins, six Champ Car wins, and 13 Stock Car wins. And he's a two-time Baja 500 winner and a two-time Baja 1000 winner. Basically, Parnelli Jones is a living legend, and he holds one more intriguing record worth mentioning. At the time of this recording, Parnelli is the oldest living Indy 500 winner at the ripe old age of 88. Hell yeah, no deaths in this story. <laughs> it's pretty easy to say that Parnelli Jones was born to be a race car driver, given his track record. Literally. His track record. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Almost slipped by me, but... Yeah, but it's his curiosity about cars, racing, and his ambitious nature that kept him going. Even when Parnelli hit an obstacle, he never gave up. He never met a racetrack he didn't like, and he never settled for mediocrity. Perhaps Parnelli can sum himself up best with the quote, I did it all for the Nicky. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, he said... It was all desire. The desire to kick ass. That's mm. a great quote. Love that. Damn, that's a great story. Yeah, yeah. really cool guy. Cool guy, man. Parnelli Jones. I want. I want to be. I want to. I'd love to talk to him. Yeah, for sure. I wonder where he lives now. 
probably like in touring. Maybe he was like your neighbor. All he along. could have very potentially been my neighbor. Yeah. We got some fan mail this week. This is from Alden. Uh, hey, y'all, love the show. I've been listening to it since day one. Thank you very much, Alden. Y'all have done episodes on Mazda and the rotary engine, but I'm waiting with bated breath for an episode about the Miata. It's been in constant production for 30 years and had a single chassis design last for 15. Plus, it's the most race car on any given weekend. Great topic to delve into. I'm into it. Miata has a really cool origin story. Uh, if you want to, well, sure, we'll do one about it. But if you don't want to wait, we made a video about it years ago uh, on our YouTube channel. Uh, love the show. Love y'all's energy. Thanks, Alden B. Thank you for the Thanks, Alden. Uh, thank you for the 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 email, Alden. Uh, if you'd like to comment on the show or say what's up, hit us up. Email us at pascas at donamedia.com. We'd love to hear from you. We love your suggestions. We wouldn't have done Parnelli Jones without you guys suggesting yeah. it because we hate him <laughs> because he killed my grandpa. <laughs> All right, uh, follow the guys on all social media. Follow James at James Pumphrey. Follow Joe at Joe G. Weber. Follow me at Nolan J. Sykes. Big thank you to our producers this week, every week, uh, Christina Felsky and Gavin Kinzel. And our writer, yeah, Kristen who, Egan. Wow, this was a really good one. Yeah. Uh, tell, us, tell a friend about the show. Uh, see, see you next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs> see, see you next time. <laughs>